the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we will celebrate on April 4th, is the most monumentous uh, event in human history. It split the calendar. And, uh, and I just want to just sort of come back to this subject from a different angle today and sort of dive into the subject and try to understand more fully. I don't think we could fully understand this because the Bible even declares what is going to happen as a mystery. But I try to f- more, if you would, more understanding to this uh, of the truth of Christ's resurrection and what specifically it means to us. And I want to get a little bit more specific than that, and that what did the resurrection do to death? So I'm going to come at it from a back door, if you would, and I think all of us, to really appreciate the resurrection, we need to have a biblical understanding of death. You know, until you understand biblically what death is, you're not going to fully appreciate the resurrection. And I, I think we all have a human understanding of what death is. And, and uh, for example, we'll go to a funeral. Well, last week, we had Janelda, uh, at least her body that was in front of this uh, pulpit. And, uh, and we, we saw her body, but uh, Janelda wasn't there. Uh, Janelda's voice is not heard. Her singing is not heard. Her, she's not breathing. <clears throat> she wasn't speaking. Uh, she wasn't laughing. <clears throat> She wasn't baking her pies that we've enjoyed through the years. Her body, uh, a couple of days ago, was buried. Uh, we put that out at the cemetery this week. And so from a human perspective, <clears throat> it looks as if death is final, humanly speaking. Uh, you know, when understanding death, it's, it seems to be this final, it's over. And, and then from there, there's a measure of faith to go beyond what happens after death. And this is where you get into the realm of people making all kinds of outlandish guesses as to what happened to her and what happened to those that are died. And they say automatically, well, then now they're a little star in heaven or they're a little angel flying around, bumping into each other and all those, all those kind of cooked up theological ideas that are not really based on anything. It's just something they saw on TV or something that they heard or they talked to a friend and they try to hodgepodge their theology and they come up with whatever they want to come up with and assume that it's right. But if you want to have a biblical perspective on the resurrection, you need to have a biblical perspective on death. And understanding what death is more fully would help you to really appreciate what the resurrection is. And the reason why I'm saying that is that when we come on April 4th to celebrate the resurrection, I want us to celebrate the resurrection from a depth of appreciation of what the resurrection ultimately was able to do to our enemy, the enemy of death. Because death's arch enemy is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, with that in mind here, look in Romans chapter 5. We'll go to a familiar passage here. And I want to say right up front that Romans chapter 5 is probably one of the most difficult passages of Scripture, at least chapters in the book of Romans. And I'm not going to unpack all these and uh, exegete, if we wanted to use that word, all these today. But I want to lift out the ideas that are in Romans chapter 5 to provide for us a little bit of an understanding of what this exactly is. This is called the death chapter in the Bible. Look at verse number 12. 
The Bible says, wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. For until the law was in the world, uh, but it, 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 excuse me, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Look down at verse 17. For if by one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Now verse 21. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through what? Righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, all these verses, as we are going to look at these, are going to provide for us an insight to death that perhaps you haven't thought about. And let's ask the Lord's blessings, open our minds, clear our minds, if you would, and focus on what the Bible says today, okay? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to gather. We thank you for these members that have come in. Thank you for the grace you've given us, Lord, to gather today. And God, I do pray that you'd help your people today to understand more fully what the resurrection is by understanding more fully what death is. Guide us, bless us, Use the scripture today to touch hearts. If there's one here that comes and does not know where they're going to go if they died, they would get saved before it's eternally too late. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the verses we read can be simply brought together and kind of lifting out some ideas of this. And uh, the first one in verse number five, you'll find here that there's a reference to sin entering into the world. I'm going to come back to that in a little bit. But I want you to note in verse number 14 that this death, nevertheless, the Bible says death reigned from Adam to what? To Moses, all right? Now look at verse number 17. For if by one man's offense, death what? Reigned by one. And now look at verse 21. That as sin hath what? Reigned. Now that word, reign, shows us something about death. A death, according to Romans chapter 5, has reigning capability. In other words, it has authority. Death reigns and has reigned over human beings for 6,000 years. In fact, uh, you'll find here that death is mentioned all the way through the Scripture. And, uh, and, and it's, it's an it's a unfortunate reality that all of us, because of an unfortunate event that happened in Genesis chapter 3, are going to have to die. Now, death, as you note here, is shown to have been able to reign. It's got, a, if you would, an authority. When you have a king, in fact, the Bible says in the book of, Ro, uh, the book of Job, the oldest book in the Bible, and it's interesting as you read Job chapter 18 and verse number 10 through 14, I'll read it for time's sake, it's a very interesting reference to death. Here's what it says. The snare is laid for him in the ground and a trap for him in the way. Terror shall make him afraid on every side and shall drive him to his feet. His strength shall be hunger bitten and destruction shall be ready at his side. 
It shall devour his strength of his skin. Even the firstborn death shall devour his strength. His confidence shall be rooted out of his tabernacle, and it shall bring him to the king of terrors. Wow. That's a very interesting reference to death. So you piece this together that death, according to Romans 5, reigns, and we find it being the king of terrors. We think of some things that terrorize us, but nothing is more terrorizing than the old enemy that all of us have to face, and that being death. And I think all of us would agree the last year we've heard more on the word death than we've probably heard in our life. Or the word deadly, the deadly virus, the deadly this, and death tolls. And, and we're almost looking at these new numbers as, a, as we used to look at sports numbers. Now it's COVID numbers and death numbers. And we're becoming much, if you would, uh, more familiar with the reality of death because of what has happened. Every community around this world, no matter where you go in this world, every community has some reminder of the reality of death by a cemetery or a graveyard. Every community. You can go, no matter where you are, you're going to find a community, you'll find a graveyard, you'll find tombstones. Sometimes out in the middle of the cornfields, those old tombstones that, uh, and, and, and that people would bury their loved ones in before they could get them into town or all over. They're, they're full. The earth is full of those that have died. They say that 60 million people at least every year die. And every two seconds, rather every second, two people die. So death claims every one of us at some point in the future, unless the rapture takes place. So COVID has heightened the awareness of this, and every day we're exposed to this, and it's just a painful reality. It's something that you and I have just got to live with, the reality of death. James Shirley wrote this, the glories of our birth and state are shadows, not substantial things. There is no armor against fate. Death lays its icy hands on kings. Napoleon said this about death. I die before my time and my body will be given to the earth and become food for worms. Such is the fate which so soon awaits the great Napoleon. Conqueror of the world, conquered by death. And then, of course, there are some that look at death, and because they don't un- fully understand the significance of it, they almost have a, almost a sick, humorous way to look at death. One author put it this way, life is hard. Then you die. Then they throw dirt on your face. Then the worms eat you. Be grateful it happens in that order. One guy said this, the worst time to have a heart attack is during the game of charades, especially if your teammates are bad guessers. <laughs> one, one astronomer said this, at my age, I do what Mark Twain did. I get my daily paper, look at the obituary page, and if I'm not there, I carry on as usual. <laughs> and so it's that reality that sometimes we just kind of brush it off and put it into a humorous category, but it is much, much to be looked at because it is a terror. And my question here is why, uh, that, why is there death? Where did this even come from? 
The answer is really in the same text. If you go back to Romans 5, and you pick it up in verse number 12, note here real quick here, where did this even come from? Why do we have to die? I mean, we live with this reality, but what's the origin of it? Look at verse number 12. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the what? Now, this is a, a very interesting reference to Adam. I'm not going to ask you to turn there, but a very good study is to go back to the book of Genesis chapter 2. God gave Adam, the first man, first created man, uh, one commandment. He says, of every other tree you can eat, but don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. We talked about this last week. He was given that in Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he comes to the woman, and I'm going to paraphrase, he deceives the woman. The woman saw that it was good for food and pleasant to the eyes. She took and she ate of that fruit. Now, she could have smelled the fruit. She could have licked the fruit. She could have thrown the fruit up in the air. We don't know what kind of fruit it was. Many people think it's an apple. I don't know. But she ate of that fruit, and she became a sinner. I can't prove this. I can't put it, and I don't think it's that clear in Genesis 3. But maybe something happened to her at that very moment. I know this, that if you go from a sinless state to a sinful state, you, you can't do that without having some emotional reaction to that. She is now a sinner. The Bible says that sin entered into the world. And so it's interesting as Adam comes along and she gave it to her husband, he did eat also. Uh, we find in the book of Timothy that he did not go into this not knowing what was going to happen. He knew that he should not do that. And he ate of that fruit and he became a sinner. He essentially said, I would rather die. I said this last week. I would rather die with Eve than live with God. And so now he is a sinner. And the world was plunged into a sin curse. Romans chapter 5 is giving us insight to what happened in Genesis chapter 3. Because it says sin entered into the world, the cosmos, the, the system that we're in, this world that we're in right now. Sin was outside of it, and Adam was the agent, the, if you would, the connector from the sin that was outside of the world become able to enter into the world. And the Bible says in Romans 5, giving us a little bit more insight to this, that wherefore, as by one man, Sin entered into the world, and then it goes into this statement, and death by what? Sin. So sin brings death. Why do we have obituaries? Why do we have death? Is because of the existence of sin. And the fact that there is sin, there is death. And there it goes on to say something a little bit more intrusive for us in verse number 12. And so death passed upon what? Not some at all. So all men now are sinners, and then it declares this, for all have sinned. So here's the Bible giving us this insight to what this is. Once sin came into the world, it began to reign. Verse 17 says, sin reigned. Job 28 says that it is a terror, a king of terrors. It's got power. It's got authority. 
This is death. So my point is this. When we look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we cannot fully appreciate the resurrection until we biblically understand what death really is. It has the power to reign. And it has been reigning. And it seems to be reigning right now. I'm using my words very carefully when I say the word seems. Now, if you would, look in Revelation, last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 1. How many are doing okay? All right. Revelation 1, you're doing fine. I'm not, (laughs) but you are. Revelation 1 and verse, I wish I could really unpack these verses a lot here, but I don't have the time. Revelation 1 in verse 18. I want you to note here a phrase. The Lord Jesus Christ is speaking. Now, you want to see a very interesting graphic description of the Lord Jesus Christ in his glorified body in heaven. It is not him being on your wall as a man, okay, sitting at the Lord's Supper table. This is a very, the only time that the Lord Jesus Christ is described on what he looks like in the Bible is in Revelation chapter 1. It's good for you to see what that looks like and what it sounds like and what his countenance looks like. It's very interesting. But in verse 18, it says, Jesus is speaking. I am he that what? Liveth and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. Then he says this phrase, and have the what? The keys. That means there's two. Okay, we got one key for hell and one key for death. I've got those keys. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ is declaring. Now note here that not only does death have the power and has had the power to reign, but death also seems to indicate that it had keys. Now, When I looked at the word keys in the Bible, you can obviously go through the Bible and look up every time the word key is used. I'm not going to do that. But I will ask you, if you would, to meet me back in the book of Isaiah, Old Testament passage of Scripture. I told you we're going to use our Bibles today. (laughs) Isaiah, uh, it's one of the prophets. It's after the book of Psalms. Just keep making it right there. Get to chapter 37 with me real quick. Psalm 37, and you'll find... In verse number one, I'm just going to pull out a thought here. And it came to pass, Isaiah 37, one. Isaiah 37, one. Isaiah 37 and one. Okay, y'all there? I hear some pages turning. All right, that's okay. I want you to get there. I want you to see it. And it came to pass when Hezekiah heard it, that he rent his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. Now, watch verse number two. And he sent Eliakim, who was, watch this phrase, over the household. That phrase right there. So Eliakim was given, if you would, authority over the household. Hold that thought. Make a left. Go to chapter 22 of Isaiah. Isaiah 22. All right. Look in verse 20 and Isaiah 22. Okay, now look at verse 20. And it, and it shall come to pass in that day that I will call my servant who? Eliakim. Now remember, Eliakim had authority or he had, he was over the household. But look at verse 20. And uh, the son of Eli- uh, Hilkiah. And I will clothe, clothe him with a robe, thy robe, and will strengthen him with thy girdle. And I will commit thy government into his hands. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Verse 22. 
and the key. See that word there? And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder. Interesting. So that he shall open and none shall shut and he shall shut and none shall open. So Eliakim, boy, there's that voice. Eliakim was given a key. Okay. And that key laid on his shoulder was able to give him, if you would, something that no one could shut and no one else could open. It was a key. So it's a very interesting phrase here that a key displays authority. We have sometimes this example given to uh, city council members when there's keys to the city. They're usually these big, large keys. There's no door that goes in and unlocks. It's a symbol of an appreciation, a welcoming of that particular person into the city. It kind of, in a sense, possesses the master key, if you would, of the city. It's an honorable, if you would, a display. When God gives a key, when he gives us the word key in the Bible, it shows and displays authority. Are we all here? Now hold that thought. In Revelation 1, here's what he said, the Lord Jesus Christ says, I am he that liveth and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Not only does a key have authority, but a key has control. Specifically, a control of what goes in and what comes out. I'm going to give you two examples of that. Last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 9. You're doing great. Revelation 9. How many are too warm? Nothing I can do about it. I just want to ask if you're warm. All right. Revelation 9. It's always good to know. All right. Revelation 9. Watch what it says here. Now, I want to say this before I read Revelation 9. I am so glad that I am not going to be in the tribulation period. There is the time of Jacob's trouble. The Bible calls it Jacob's trouble. It's a seven-year period of time that is referred to in the Bible that will be all over the earth. It's going to be horrendous. Uh, It's apocalyptic in nature. It is a horrible time that the world has never seen before. And I just thank the Lord that I'm not going to be here because of things like this. I read Revelation 9, and I'm like, I can't even imagine what this is, much less being able to comprehend the idea of living with something like this in existence. Whatever this is, is not good. Revelation 9, 1, and the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him. So the star is a him, most likely an angel, okay? And to him was given the what? Key. Key. The key to the what? bottomless pit. Okay, so this angel comes down, and he's given this key. So he didn't have the key. He's given this key, and he comes down to the bottomless pit. And then verse 2, and he opened the bottomless pit. Now, it only seems logical that the key was necessary for the bottomless pit to be opened up. Are you all here so far? And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit. And as the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of that smoke locusts upon the earth. And upon them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. Oh, wow. Now we got something coming out of this pit. Now, this has absolutely nothing to do with this sermon. All right. But it's so interesting. I'm never here. So and I want to just kind of unpack it. Can we do it real quick? 
So whatever comes out of this pit, you understand, it, it is, is said it has this power, these scorpions of, as the scorpions of the earth. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass, nor the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree. But those men which have not the seal of God in their forehead. So, there seems to be a command given to them that they're not allowed to eat any vegetation. So these locusts are not normal locusts. These are able to inflict pain. But he can't touch anyone. These things can't touch anyone that has God in their foreheads. And to them was given that they should not kill them, but they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when it striketh a man. So if you want to study that, find out what a scorpion bite or sting feels like. It'll be something like that. But this um, beast, this, this locust thing, comes out, is able to inflict pain, and men will want to die, but they can't die. There are some things worse than death, living in intense pain. And they're going to seek death. They're not going to be able to find it. Verse 6 says that. And those, in those days, men shall seek death and shall not find it and shall desire to die and death shall flee from the kill. Can you imagine this? That there are going to be men that are saying, please let me die because of whatever has bit them from this pit. And the shape, now this is where it gets really interesting. And this is not a Huey helicopter or an Apache helicopter. I'm telling you that right now. Whatever this is, there's no military. This, this, this is supernatural. And the shapes of the locusts were, were like unto horses prepared unto battle. So I kind of wrap my mind around what that looks like. And on their heads were as the crown of like gold, and their faces were as the face of a man, and they had hair of a woman. They had teeth, as it were, and their teeth were as the teeth of a lion's. Wow. I just got y'all thinking about that, what that looks like. And they had breastplates, as it were the breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings, oh, they're flying, and the sound of chariots and many horses running to battle. And they had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and the power was not to hurt, was rather was to hurt men for five months. Wow. Now, I can't even imagine what that is. But whatever these are, they fly, they sting, but they don't kill. They came out of the bottomless pit. But the bottomless pit was open. Now, here's another whole level of thought. In verse 11, it says, And they, these things, had a king over them. They're order, they're order, organized. Do you realize this? God, God allows authority in the deepest parts of the, of the cosmos. I mean, even in the bottomless pit, there's a king over them. I'm in charge. Isn't that crazy? And so when they come out, this king over them is able to organize, if you would, effectively going out and stinging people for five months in this tribulation period. Then the name is given about who this is, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. Now you look up the word CERN, I'm not going to ask you to do all this. CERN, C-E-R-N, it's in Geneva, Switzerland. They're doing a lot of collo- uh, 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 particle colliding and all that stuff. The name of that place, the name of that facility is Apollyon. Apollyon, very interesting. 
as they're trying to summons up. They're trying to bring up. They're trying to find the God particle. They may just find it. And whenever it comes out of that pit, which, by the way, that pit is, that, that particular facility is 300 feet underground. They're doing it. It's word polyon. They got, they, got a, they got a Hindu goddess out in front of that thing who is a goddess of war. So whatever this is, we may be beginning to see where it could come out of. You can study that out, look it up. I'm simply saying that whatever this is, it came out of a pit that was locked, and a key had to open it up to get it out. Are you all here? Keys. So keys, number one, display authority. Keys, they open, and we also know they can close. Look in Revelation chapter 20. Revelation 20. Revelation 20 and verse number one. Second place this is found in the Bible. This bottomless pit. And I saw an angel. Here's this phrase here. Come where? Okay. Not an angel going up. It's interesting. Hell's always down. And I'm not saying that hell is a bottomless pit. I am saying it exists, right? So does hell. So does lake of fire. So whatever this is, <clears throat> this angel comes down from heaven having the key to the what? There's not a key. There's the key. There's only one key. And I'm glad there's only one key. You definitely don't want that key to get into the wrong hands. Are you all with me today? Sometimes we have to change the locks around. The key got into the wrong hands. We haven't had to do it, but if we had to, change the locks. Why? That's not a good thing. But the key. And it goes on to say here, of the bottomless pit and the great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, the old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. That would be the battle of Gog and Magog found in the last part of the book of Revelation. Different than Gog and Magog of Ezekiel 38 and 39. I call it Gog and Magog 1, Gog and Magog 2. Whatever this is, Satan's loosed out of this, this uh, pit for a season. He de- deceives the nations, and they fight against God one more time, and then he destroys them with the fire out of his mouth. That's eschatologically ahead of us. But note, this key to the bottomless pit opened, and the key to the bottomless pit shut. That shows authority. So whoever has a key has authority. Now, go back to Revelation chapter 18. You're doing great. Revelation chapter 18. Oh, I have so much here to say to you. But I think I will. Revelation chapter 18, of chapter 1, verse 11. This is so good, I just can't leave it out. We're going to get a running start at verse 18. Watch what it says. Of course, Jesus is speaking here saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, what thou seest right in a book. And he sent it unto the seven churches which are in Asia and Ephesus and in Samaria and unto Pergamos and unto Thyatira and to Sardis and unto Philadelphia and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice which spake with me and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his foot, and girt about with paps, with a golden girdle. And his, and his head was 
Look at this. This is the description of him. Had his head, uh, his head and his hairs were like white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like undefined brass, as if they burned in a furnace. This is speaking about Jesus Christ and what he looks like. I wish I could play this for you. And his voice is a sound of many waters. Now, just that right there. Can you imagine having a voice with that kind of power and sound? Running water. Powerful. And it says here, And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun that shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not. I am the first and the last. Then it says, I am he that liveth. Watch this. It's a reference to his pre-crucifixion life. I was alive. And by the way, he, wasn't, he didn't start existing in Bethlehem. Amen? He's always, always been the son of God. Amen? There's some crazy doctrines out there I'm going to unpack for you in a couple of weeks about this progressive Christianity that do not believe that Jesus was the Christ. But that's another message. I'm he that liveth and was dead, and behold, listen to this, I'm alive forevermore. If you look at the comma and there's an amen, you ought to say amen there too. Because he's not dead. Then there's a semicolon, and here's what he says, and have the keys of hell and of death. Wow. Now, when I look at this, when Jesus resurrected from the grave, it's interesting. He's, I want you to note here, I was alive, then I died, and now I'm alive again. Oh, by the way, I've got the keys to death and hell. Are you all here? Indicating... That it's possible that he did not have the keys to death and hell before the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I'm saying, you, you cannot appreciate the resurrection until you understand death. Death reigned. Death had keys. Keys have authority. Keys shut up. Keys let out. And he says, I have the keys. Isn't that good? Where did he get them from? Well, that's a good, good question. Look in Hebrews chapter number 2. Hebrews 2. Where do you get these keys from? Thank you for joining us online. I hope you're watching and looking at these scriptures. These are powerful, powerful verses. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood. Now note here to the... Incarnate Christ, he also himself likewise took part of the same. Jesus Christ became 100% man while being 100% God. He was flesh and blood, amen? Amen. And he was God. And through death, he might destroy him that had the power of what? Death, that is who? Devil. Now, note here. I don't believe, and I've mentioned this in the last hour, I don't believe there was a wrestling match for the keys. 
I, I, I don't think there was anything like, okay, now you better get those. The authority was given to Jesus Christ by the mere fact that he was alive, he was dead, and he rose again, okay? And he's alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and hell. Where did he get them from? Well, it says there that Satan had the power over death, right? So it seems to indicate that Satan had the keys. You know what Satan did? They're yours. Hell here? Gone. I'll thank God for that. Because death had, uh, uh, had been reigning from Adam to Moses, and anyone that has died is also seeming looking like death is still reigning. But death lost its keys to Jesus Christ. Hell lost its keys to Jesus Christ. So note here, death reigns. It's a king of terrors. And the king of kings took it out of the king of terrors' hand. Wow. It's just a side thought there. Death reign. Death has sorrow. Death has keys. But death is and has always been our enemy. And that's why it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now, we know in 1 Corinthians 15 that death and hell be swallowed up in victory. Gone. I was coming out of Menards a couple days ago. I'm dieting. I'm trying to lose some weight. People say, you don't need to lose weight. Yes, I do. And my wife... My wife and I, we, she tells me, because I want to pull into, I see these little Girl Scouts out there with the Girl Scout cookies. Like, I just want one, not one cookie, I want one sleeve. I just want to put it in my mouth. You know, I just want to chop them up. You all here? I'm in by myself, and I think that's what happened. It's by myself. And I come out, and the table sit out there, and the little Girl Scouts just sitting there. And I, I go this, I, I'm, I'm going to the car, and then I hear that little voice, sir? Yes. <laughs> what can I do for you, little one? And they held up one of those boxes. I said, I'll take the mint. I smelled inside the box. Went to the car. Looked at the box. Picked the box up and smelled it again. Went home. I came in. I said, anyone that wants to grow can have a cookie. (laughs) My little boy says, thanks, Dad. I said, eat them. Quickly. (laughs) All of them. How many can I have? All of them. (laughs) See. I mean, eat all. Really? Eat them. Now, I didn't eat a cookie. But if I did, you would never See the cookie again. Because I would swallow the cookie. Now, what the Bible says that Jesus Christ did to death and hell, which he has the keys to, the Bible says death and hell were, the word swallowed up in victory. Now, I don't know about you, 
When I think about what death has had the opportunity to do, it is still the king of terrors. However, the keys have been taken away from it. They've been given to the authority of Jesus Christ. So death's arch enemy is the very resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Conquer death. I'll finish with with this passage. John 11, Jesus is coming to Bethany. (coughs) Lazarus is dead, been dead for four days. The Bible says his his body stinketh by now. Martha meets him out there as he's coming into the town. (coughs) He speaks to her and says, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. Meet me there if you would. John 11, John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me, look at this phrase, shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Death has and still is our enemy. But it seems to indicate that those that believe in Jesus Christ shall never die. A side note, and I have done this before, and I don't ask that we take too much time here, but in funerals occasionally, I was having a Bible study with myself um, eight, ten years ago, and it hit me. It just hit me on this subject. I looked up every place in the Bible that a saint of God died. Excuse me, died. And I cannot find one of those cases that the word death is used to describe their dying. It's interesting. After the resurrection, anyone that's died after the resurrection, those that believe the word death is not used to describe their death. Example. When Stephen was stoned, he was the first of many deacons. The Bible says he fell asleep. I don't know about you. That's probably, probably pretty neat. I took some Benadryl last night so I could get some sleep. My wife sent me down there. I had four Walmart employees helping me find this small little thing of Benadryl tucked away so I can get some relief and so forth. That's a side note. But I don't know when I went to sleep last night. I have no idea. I know I went to bed, but I don't know exactly what moment I actually went to sleep. Do you realize for a child of God that's the same way it is? So how do you know you haven't died? I'm just telling you what the Bible says. All right? He fell asleep. All right, how about this one? Paul. The Apostle Paul says, Timothy, the time of my departure is at hand. He didn't say the time of my death is at hand. He says, I'm about ready to leave. It's almost as if my ship has come in or my boat has come in. I'm going to depart. So the point, ladies and gentlemen, is that Jesus is absolutely telling the truth, which he cannot tell a lie. Whosoever believeth in me shall never die. Death's arch enemy is Christ's resurrection. So my question is, why would someone reject this? Well, 
Why would someone reject the love of Jesus Christ? Why would someone reject such amazing power that has been displayed biblically over all of our enemies? Maybe they love sin too much. Maybe they love themselves too much. Catherine Hepburn was one of the most atheist actors, atheistic actors in Hollywood, pushed the limits to morality. Avowed atheist. Here's what she said about death. Death will be a great relief. No more interviews. Joan Crawford, that nice lady. On her deathbed, she cursed. Her family was praying for her. She cursed. And she yelled at her family. Last words. Don't you dare ask God to help me. A couple of years ago, I was able to get the works of Thomas Paine. The leading atheistic writer to the American colonies. He wrote the age of reason, his last words. By the way, the age of reason, that whole philosophy has been used in all of our state colleges today. It's in our churches today. It's in our theological seminaries today, unfortunately. His last words, stay with me. Oh, for God's sake, I, I cannot bear to be left alone. Oh, Lord, help me. Oh, God, what have I done to suffer so much? What will become of me hereafter? I will give worlds, if I had them, that the age of reason had never been published. Why don't they say that? Right. Oh, Lord, help me. Christ, help me. No, don't leave. Stay with me. Send me a child to stay with me. For I'm on the edge of hell, here alone. If ever the devil had an agent, I have been that one. Last words. See, man's only hope is Jesus Christ. Man cannot destroy death, but Jesus Christ has. Man cannot get the keys of death, but Jesus Christ has them. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, those keys are for you. We buried Janelda out at the uh, graveyard cemetery. And uh, we laid her to rest, her body to rest. Janelda's in heaven. And we laid her to rest. And we, we read First Thessalonians chapter 2, where it says... There's going to be a trumpet. The trumpet sounds, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we which are alive and remain will be called up together to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. The last verse of that chapter says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. You know what words we're talking about? The resurrection. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is death's arch enemy. And death is the arch enemy of man. So that means that Jesus Christ is your best friend. <laughs> Amen? That's why he says he's a friend that's taken closer than a brother. 
And so, ladies and gentlemen, there's two decisions here. Number one, if you're saved, you ought to thank God for the resurrection of Christ. Okay? And have a deeper understanding of what biblical death is. So thanksgiving would be a wonderful thing to do. If you're here, you say, Pastor, if I died, I'm not sure that I would go to heaven. I'm religious. I've gone to church. I, I believe in God. But I'm not sure if I died that I would go to heaven. I'd like to know that for sure. And I would like to invite you, let one of us take a Bible and share with you how you can be saved. And know without a shadow of a doubt that the keys will be unlocking one day your grave if you believe in Christ.